Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's the Tuesday edition of the program. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu and being joined uh, via technology from the island of Maui by my special guest co-host for the day. Jordan Helley is on the horn. What's up, Jordan? How are you, man? What's up, man? Uh, doing well. Doing well. Uh, nice little Tuesday. Good to be uh, back in the swing of things. Yeah. Happy to be on. You're actually uh, uh, making your way over to Oahu a little bit later this week? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Well, um, on Thursday, I'll be up there. My uh, my wife, uh, shout out to Lauren, uh, is the uh, the head water polo coach over at Baldwin uh, and uh, won the MIL championship. So they'll be over for the state quarterfinals uh, at state water polo up at Kamehameha. Uh, might run into the likes of, you know, Pacabello or somebody else <laughs> like that on campus. You never know. Uh, so that'll be fun. We're looking forward to it. I'll be uh, I'll be tagging along. Yeah, wait, aren't you like a, 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 a an assistant coach? Like, isn't this kind of a uh, husband-wife tandem type of uh, coaching dynamic like we see in some uh, college programs? Yeah, 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 yeah. I am uh, much riding the coattails. <laughs> uh, I started off as like the glorified equipment manager. Uh, and then uh, over, I knew not much about water polo before last season uh, when Lauren took over, and uh, I've loved it, man. It is so much fun. I've I've uh, I've learned so much about the game, uh, and naturally, just kind of you know grabbing loose balls and and water <laughs> bottles. Uh, I, I graduated from that. I couldn't help myself, right? And uh, you know, I've 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 really enjoyed it. Uh, it's a lot of fun. There are so many similarities to to basketball, to soccer, to some of the other sports that I think are a little more mainstream. There's so much crossover. Uh, all while they basically wrestle in the pool, and uh, you know there there is a there is a lot of hand to hand combat, if you will. Yeah. Uh, it's it's kind of insane. I I don't know how the girls do it, uh, but it has been a blast, uh, an absolute blast. And uh, you know we were fortunate enough to to make it to the quarterfinals on yeah. Thursday. Yeah. No, that's very cool. Shout out certainly to Lauren, and uh, obviously a big listener of the show. So I'm sure she's uh, she's feeling <laughs> yeah. uh, our love. Um. Yeah. You were you mentioned hand to hand combat. Uh, there's like foot to foot combat there's like all kinds of stuff going on below the surface of the water that's what's so uh, in, intriguing about that sport to me uh is just how you go about first off officiating the thing because yeah. as mentioned there's so much that's going on that you can't really see uh when you're just uh you know watching uh, almost spectator like uh, above the water uh and then uh, the other part that's interesting to me is how that stuff is coached Right, because you know aggressiveness is a key factor uh, in that sport. Um, it's fascinating to me because one of the things, one of the goals when you set out to play water polo, uh, and this is a non-water polo observation clearly, but it's always struck me as one of the goals. Try not to drown. Like that's a number one is yeah. make sure you tread water and you stay above the surface. And then the other thing is, um, I guess, try to like annihilate the opponent uh, by all kinds of, of, you know, kicking and tugging and all kinds of stuff that's going yeah. on be beneath the surface. Uh, how is that sort of um, compartmentalized from a coaching perspective? You know, now that you're uh, you're yeah, in the, yeah. the now, water now polo that, coaching uh, groove. Now that I'm into it, man, I, I'm, I'm, watch <laughs> I'm, I'm big on the water polo YouTube um, love watching the, the the University of Hawaii. Obviously, our you know the Rainbow Wahine water polo program, like a top five program in the country perennially, uh, which is kind of nice to have in in our backyard, right? It's been a great uh, great learning tool. Yeah, water polo is is absolutely insane. It, it, it's kind of like I, I explain it like you know they're, they're it's extremely physical, and so 
in the half court game, you know, it's it's like uh, it's like '90s basketball where you can hand check out on the perimeter. Uh, you can Gary Payton your way around. Uh, so it's 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 not the new freedom of movement type of basketball. Uh, picture more '90s basketball where there's still a ton of athleticism. There's still a ton of movement, uh, but you can you know you can hand check uh, along the way, and then um, think like Shaq in the post, uh, where it's very similar to basketball. Um, you know, the you try to old school basketball, if you will, without the three point shot, where it's like it makes sense to pound the ball inside, right? Because that's the closest you can get to the goal, highest percent of scoring. Uh, that's much more like wrestling. Uh, in the middle of everything, there's like a wrestling match going on. Uh, there's Gary Payton hand-checking defense going on in the perimeter. And then after all of that, if you turn over the ball or, the, you know, the, the other team gains possession, now we're doing like Showtime Lakers fast break. Everybody is sprinting to the other end of the court. Um you know, after you got to catch your breath and things like that. Because, yeah, in, in, in basketball, in any other sport, right, you want to catch your breath, you just stop moving. Uh, not the case when you're in the water. It's a little tougher. It's a little tougher to kind of just, you know, collect yourself. Uh, but it, and, then, and then you go to the other end of the court, you do that all over again. Uh, and especially at the high school level where it's, where it's a little more wide open than, than you see at the collegiate level because they're just so good. Um, you know, it can get a little end-to-end. It can get a little more wide open. It can get a little more fast-breaky. Um, and then it's just uh, it's a whole bunch mixed into it. So, so yeah, you're, you're coaching up a whole lot of different skills, man, it, it, defensively, offensively. Uh, there's all kinds of things going on that, that that you're working on, but it's it's very similar to uh, to, to basketball in a lot of ways. It's kind of where uh, I think my very limited knowledge kind of gets parlayed. You know, to get open, what do you do? You, you V cut, mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. V in and out. Like the same thing you learn in like eight and under basketball. Like UCLA right? cut, baby. Yeah, that's, that's it. there's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. You want to post up, right? You want to you want to make sure you put your defender on your back. You get a good position to try and attack the goal. Same thing. You know, it's 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 a lot of that. Um, and so I, 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 uh, I bring that very limited knowledge to the table. <laughs> uh, and when it comes to the technique, when it comes to actually having played the sport, when it comes to, like, understanding all of the, the you know, the underwater stuff and things like that, uh, the rest. Uh, looks like we lost Jordan there. Yeah, you know, and that's really how we uh, we want to start things here on the show uh, with some water polo talk. That's what our listeners come here for is to uh, get educated uh, on the uh, the intricacies and strategies of water polo. That is really cool, though, and it's it's kind of an awesome dynamic, I think, Jordan uh, and his wife being able to coach the uh, Baldwin uh, girls water polo team. So, um, yeah, we wish them the best of luck, and we look forward to seeing uh, Jordan here on the uh, island of Oahu a little bit later on. Uh, in the week. We're going to try to uh, see if we can uh, get connected once again. Jordan uses uh, this uh, box. It's known as a tie line, and um, it seems to be, at least the last couple of times we've used it, fairly temperamental. In fact, a lot of these boxes, even some of the access boxes that we have been uh, using uh, for some of the remote broadcasts, shows, and and, and events, um, been a little bit temperamental here as of late. I don't know what's going on. It's like AI, like the the, the robots are starting to turn on us or something like that. So we'll see if we can get reconnected here uh, with Jordan uh, in just a little bit. But, uh, yeah, state water polo tournament going on. You got the uh, state volleyball tournament going on this week. And, of course, last week we were celebrating uh, not just the uh, state softball tournaments but also the state baseball tournament. And on that note, uh, we are looking forward to, in segment number two, uh, 
talking with Damian head baseball coach Skyler Tengon. He's going to join us uh, because, hey, look, we were talking a lot about how competitive the D1 tournament bracket was, and it certainly was, and it was loaded with talent uh, at just about all positions for just about every participant in that tourney. Uh, but on the D2 level, uh, Damian was able to clutch up again and, in fact, pulled off the repeat D2 State Baseball Championship repeat. So congratulations to that program. And we'll be talking with Skylar Tengon uh, in uh, segment number two, so about five or so minutes from now, uh, about just what it was like uh, to run through that gauntlet again, a very difficult IELATE schedule, which seems to prepare uh, this Damien squad for uh, what is the the rigorous nature of back-to-back-to-back type of, of competitions uh, when you get into state tournament play. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, uh, talking with Skylar Tengon in just a little bit. Again, we will uh, continue to effort uh, to get back online with Jordan Helley. Uh, I mentioned the boys' volleyball state tournament going on uh, here this week. Uh, a very sort of um, unique uh, or at least uh, somewhat unprecedented uh, feature of this year's tournament is the fact that the championship match, like uh, per usual, uh, some of the earlier round matches are played at various high school sites, McKinley, Moanalua. Those are usually pretty popular uh, and utilized frequently for uh, early rounds of court uh, state tournament sports. Uh, but the championship match... Uh, for this week's volleyball tournament, actually going to be held at Cannon Activities Center. So it's going to be all the way out there on the uh, on the North Shore in Laie. And I think that what's interesting about that is you utilize certainly this uh, fantastic, um, you know, arena that has been kept in pretty darn good shape. And uh, obviously, otherwise, is just sitting there because BYU Hawaii uh, does not have an athletics program anymore. And so I can understand the idea of sort of utilizing that space. But that's kind of a ways to go, right? There's ways to go for most of your volleyball programs uh, are going to be, uh, in essence, uh, town programs, right? And uh, obviously, the top three programs going into this tournament, uh, I, I think, would be obviously considered Moanalua, Kamehameha, and Punahou. Uh, and so it's kind of a, a ways to go. And uh, so we have Jordan, uh, who is joining us via the phone line here. And Jordan, I kind of wanted to get your reaction uh, to the the idea of hosting the championship of the Volleyball State Tournament at Cannon Activities Center. Uh, again, a, a fairly unprecedented maneuver here by the HHSAA. They utilize uh, what is a fine space uh, for uh, athletic competition. Cannon Activities Center, I, I love that arena. Uh, you broadcast a couple of basketball games from up there earlier uh, in the basketball season. Um, it's fantastic. But it's on the North Shore. It's a little bit of a ways to go. What do you think about that move by the HHSAA just for the championship round, too? Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, when, when you look at it, um, it's the first time they haven't held it basically in town since uh, they took the tournament to, to the Big Island back in 2011. It's been over a decade, really, since they haven't played it at either the Blaisdell um, or actually it's just been at the Blade though. I think, I don't even think they've really played it at the university of Hawaii. Um, and obviously it's graduation weekend. So, uh, some things obviously, um, going on on campus there at UH and, and with the Blaisdell unavailable. Um, I'm with you. It's such a great venue. Uh, it's just far away, <laughs> you know? And so for, for a tournament that's shaping up to be one of the more intriguing in a long time, because of the fact that 
Wanalua is into the mix along with the two ILH representatives. And this year, obviously, it happens to be Kamehameha and Punahou. And it, it, it's – I just wonder what the crowd will be like yeah. uh, up there on the North Shore because you have, um, you know, you have a pretty big ticket game, I think, no matter what, even at the semifinal round, right, which will be held um, in town at a high school gym. I think it's at Moanalua, the semifinal round. You know, you're, you're looking at Moanalua, Punahou, perhaps in the semifinals. You're looking at one of those two teams against Kamehameha in the championship game. Like, that. those are heavyweight battles. Like, yeah. teams that are ranked, like, in the top 10 in the country, good, uh, at this level, at the high school level. And so, you know, as, as great a venue as it is and, and as terrific host, anytime any event is held up there at BYU-Hawaii, uh, it is first class. Um, but I just want to, you know, it, it's tough. It's tough when it's, it's, it's a bit of a trek. You've also got the, uh, the state water polo championship game that night as well at Kamehameha. I just wonder if, you know, holding it at one of the, the, the high school gyms in town, whether it be Kamehameha, Puno, Moanalua, McKinley, um, maybe not McKinley, McKinley's got a little bit lower roof, but some of the, 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 the gyms that have the higher ceilings, um, you know, like a Punahou, like a Kamehameha, St. Louis, right. If they're worried about having this thing on neutral floor, um, you know, with the, the possibility of Punahou, Kamehameha, Moanalua, some combination of those schools making the championship game. You know, St. Louis has a terrific venue they've been using for a lot of state tournament games, mainly at the division two level uh, in both basketball and volleyball. So, yeah, I just, I just wonder if, if you know, that would have been – or if, if that would have led to a bigger crowd. Uh, I do think if you played it at one of those high school gyms, like it would probably be standing room capacity only. For sure, for uh, sure. But if, you, but if you can get a good crowd out there at, at, at the, uh, the Canton Activity Center, then, then more power, right? Uh, yeah. Because it is, it is quite the venue. Yeah. Um, and it's always a treat going out there. I mean, you know, it's it's those are some of the things you have to balance, right? Uh, if you're Chris Chun, executive director of the HHSAA, is you know you want to give these student athletes an experience, and there certainly is kind of a big time vibe when you play in what is essentially a college arena at Cannon Activities Center, and so I I, I kind of dig that idea. Uh, but you're right, just in terms of logistics, you know, if there is a concern, competitively speaking, about having a championship match that could potentially um, you know, feature a team that would be, you mentioned Kamehameha or Punahou as possible sites. Obviously, Moanalua is um, the number one seed in the tournament, and they're playing on their home floor in the first two rounds, or at least in the quarterfinal and semifinal rounds on Thursday and Friday if they make it to Friday. Um, and so if you're worried about, like, the competitive advantage of a team playing on its home floor in the championship match, it's like, well, we're already seeing that in the quarterfinal and semifinal rounds on behalf of Na Menuhune and, and this Moanalua team, uh, which is the number one seed. And so uh, I'm not sure how much that should factor in, you know, when you're weighing against the logistics of, you know, maybe we, we have all these teams that are sort of clustered in town. Maybe we find a venue, even if the Stan Sheriff Center or Blaisdell Arena aren't available. Yeah, I'm with you there. I, I, I think, you know, they got to make do, right? And, and they've, especially nowadays, like everything's had to get created from the football state tournament all the way on down, uh, just trying to find venues, figuring things out. Right last week, um, you know, they, they, they figured out a way to get both the, the softball and baseball tournaments there at, at, at going on at UH, but the only bummer was they had to play them at the same time, right? So there's always going to be um, logistical hurdles for the HHSA to, to overcome and, and I think obviously, you know, the success of state wrestling tournament this past uh, February uh, out at the Cannon Activity Center, I think, uh, you know, lay the foundation for a nice working relationship perhaps between the HHSA 
and BYU Hawaii and, and utilizing that facility for future state championships, whether it be wrestling, whether it be other arena sports like volleyball, like maybe basketball in the future. Um, and, and, you know, it, the other side of the coin is, you know, that's, that's such a great athletics community up, up at the, up on the North shore. And, and uh, I, I believe Goku got eliminated yesterday in the, in the first round of the, the boys volleyball tournament, but, but regardless, right. That, it's such a sports loving community um, up there on the North shore and being able to play state championships up there. I think much of the same mindset of taking, you know, the, the, the university of Hawaii and, and the, um, <clears throat> the, the North shore classic up there, taking it to some of these communities, uh, I think is very much appreciated. Um, it's just, uh, it's just, you know, trying to make the most of a, uh, an ideal situation where you kind of have the usual centralized location, uh, that's uh, what I would imagine on championship Saturday. And even the semifinal round is going to drop big crowds. All right. Well, uh, yeah, sorry about a little bit of the uh, technical uh, miscue here, uh, Jordan, but thanks for uh, calling back in. We're going to get you back on the horn a little bit later on uh, in the show. We're going to do a little uh, true or false game a little bit later on here on Let's Talk Sports. Uh, but we will defer and uh, talk with uh, now the back-to-back uh, state Division II champion Damian Baseball head coach uh, Skyler Tengon. He's going to join me on the other side of this break. A reminder, though, Domino's Hawaii is a sponsor of Let's Talk Sports. If you order online or via the app, you can get as much as 20% off your online order. They also have a bunch of combo deals for as low as $7.99. You want to check it out. Domino's Pizza Hawaii. They deliver aloha. All right, we'll be back. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Konoa Lehi here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu and very excited to welcome to the show via the phone line. He's the head coach of the now back-to-back Division II state baseball champion, Damian Monarchs. Uh, his name is Skyler Tengon, and he joins the show right now. Coach, how are you doing? How's it going, Kanoa? Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for jumping on. Congratulations uh, on the victory. Congratulations on uh, earning the hardware again. Not too shabby. You go back-to-back here uh, for a guy who was uh, basically hired in 2020 to take over this job. Things have gone uh, pretty swimmingly, uh, we'd have to say, huh? Yeah, yeah. I mean, couldn't have asked for anything more. That first year it was kind of COVID, so there was no state tournament. And then the next two, we were fortunate enough to come out on top. So I guess you couldn't ask for a better start. Well, let's talk uh, first off about uh, this uh, state championship game and uh, the fact that you got just a fantastic uh, pitching performance uh, from uh, one of your standout guys, Jamison Pabalan, and a guy who uh, eventually would also uh, receive recognition as the most outstanding player of the tournament. Uh, He was shutting things down on the mound in a relief appearance, and uh, that was uh, certainly enough uh, in terms of of what your team could then uh, put out uh, offensively. Uh, just enough to get the job done. Yeah, I mean, the plan was to go to him eventually in the game. We're hoping for a little bit more out of uh, the first two guys, but we couldn't let the game get out of the hand, so we just went to Jamison earlier than we wanted him. Just He gave us everything he got. He's a senior. He's been our guy all year, the last couple years, and I was so proud of him that most outstanding player award couldn't have been more deserving, and, and yeah, he just he did it for us. Yeah, uh, five and a third shutout innings of relief to beat Kauai 6-5 uh, in that Division II state championship game. As you're watching that from the dugout and, and you're, you're trying to measure, all right, you know, what kind of arms do I have potentially to turn to? You're keeping an eye on the scoreboard. Um, how are you communicating with him or, or how are you observing that through the coaching lens of uh, how far you can ride this guy? 
So he actually started for us the first game of the tournament too on Wednesday against Molokai, and we the plan was to hopefully save him and keep him under that sixty pitch count to bring him back on the state championship day, mm. which which worked in our favor and we went to him in that third and every inning he came in I would ask him how you feel but of course you know he's a senior this is his last game he he kept saying it's all right it's all right I'm, you're not going to take me out of this game and <laughs> I told him I always tell the seniors I'll, I'll rely on you guys you guys know what you guys are doing so. Yeah, he wasn't coming out. Yeah. We'll, we'll be honest about that one. Yeah, I mean, you can tell he's, he's a competitor, and that shows a lot of trust uh, f- from your perspective as well, right, in, in your relationship with these guys. It, it sounds as though uh, you uh, give them some of that responsibility and and, and, and some of uh, that uh, kind of, uh, you know, autonomy, if you will, uh, to be able to kind of uh, say, hey, coach, I- I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, we rely on. I mean, as the Jameson's been been on the varsity for four years now, from his freshman year, so I've gotten to know him really well, and they knew what we expected of them as the senior, those three seniors, and we lean on them heavily for leadership wise and just to get a good feeling on the team. And he he knew what he had to do, and we had no um no doubt he was going to be able to do it. You know, what's interesting for uh, this Damien baseball team is the fact that uh, you guys go through the ILH gauntlet. And to be honest, uh, you have to kind of go through the process of taking your lumps a little bit. You lost, I believe, 10 straight games uh, at one point before going on a winning streak uh, towards the end of the regular season and got a couple of really key wins that sort of propelled you, if you will, momentum-wise, into the state tourney. But uh, how much of a grind is that going through the ILH schedule and trying to keep these guys' heads up even when they're experiencing uh, coming up short on the scoreboard? Oh, I think that's the biggest challenge every year. I mean... We play the same ILH schedule as all the D1 guys, which is which I think is a great thing. It really prepares us for the, the state tournament at the end. But, yeah, as you said, we lost 11 straight, and a lot of them were close games that were in the game, and we just couldn't find a way to finish. So I think the biggest thing is just keeping them, keeping their heads in it, keeping them bought in, and just trusting the process, as we like to say. And, and unfortunately, we won the last two games of the ILH season. The St. Louis one was a big one, and it mm-hmm. kind of carried us some momentum into those three weeks off of practices and just working for those three games in the state tournament. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I guess it does, though, uh, callous you guys a little bit or, or, or get you certainly uh, – prepared for the gauntlet that is state tournament play and when you have to go back to back to back nights um i I imagine you feel like hey look we earn our experience points when it comes to tournament play by virtue of having to battle in the ilh oh for sure and in the ilh we play three games a week too so your your arms your pitching staff has to be ready we use a lot of guys we don't want any guys hurting their arms so i think it really prepares us for the state tournament and playing all those close games in the ILH too, the boys kind of know what to expect. We're talking with Skyler Tengon. He's the head coach for the Damian baseball team. They won their second straight Division II state championship last week. Uh, and, you know, we mentioned Jamison Pabalan and his uh, most outstanding player performance. Uh, who are some of the other names? I know it's a team effort, and, and it's so hard for a coach to kind of single guys out individually, but Francis O'Connor was a guy who had three RBIs in the championship game. Who are some of the other guys that you uh, would say uh, you were able to just rely upon here throughout the season and getting to once again? again this uh celebratory point yeah so francis actually he's a junior he's our center fielder but he's also our number two pitcher so he threw six innings i believe against waipahu on the semifinal day so i mean we relied on him heavily he's our third batter 
he was able to step up in the tournament. And then I think a big surprise was actually um, OJ Yoshida. He's our first baseman, and he's a senior. So he, I mean, he was he had big expectations going into this last tournament. So he kind of stepped up in a big way for us. He had that RBI triple down the line, made some key plays, and just his energy. And as the boys would say, he's actually a really quiet, kind of reserved guy. But in the state tournament, he was like a different beast out there. Yeah, that's good stuff. We're talking with Skylar Tengon uh, of the Damien Baseball Program. Uh, you played your prep baseball at Mid-Pacific, and so you played under uh, the great Dun Morimaru. Uh, you also played alongside Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. Um, what did that experience there at MPI, how did that sort of uh, help you parlay uh, into this now uh, coaching realm uh, and doing so with such effectiveness? I mean, I think it has almost everything to do with it. I played... Um four years at mid-pack I played two years of varsity under coach Don and I actually coached over there for about six to seven years after I graduated while I was in college and kind of got that's where I got my coaching career started too and just the way he is able to run a program I think I mean that's it's the blueprint of what you have to do and I was able to pretty much everything I learned over there and take it and is the basis of what we kind of do at Damon so I mean I owe him a ton of credit I, I, I still keep in touch with him all the time and we play against them Maybe one day I'll get to beat him. That's always the goal. But <laughs> <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Exactly. I haven't gotten there yet. But, I mean, he, he's great. The way he just, how hard he gets the kids to work. And that's pretty much what I'm trying to establish at Damien, too. Is it's a culture, right? That's a big thing. So. Well, what was interesting is, is you take some of what you learned there culture-wise at Mid-Pacific. Uh, you also, uh, before taking over the head coaching job at Damien, coached uh, under Tim O'Donohue for a couple of years, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and obviously, he's a guy who has some pretty heavy chops in this game of baseball. Um, it, it, you mentioned the culture. H how much did that culture carry over from your time coaching alongside uh, Timo and, and now as, as you're running the show? How, how much of that sort of maintained continuity? Oh, 100%. So actually, uh, our, our whole coaching staff is a, is a carryover from Coach Timo's staff. So I was so uh, lucky to, to get my uh, – that was basically my – at Mid-Pack, I was a JV coach, and then Timo gave me a shot to, to coach on a varsity level. And just when he stepped down, he asked me – or he told me that I should apply. And I went back and forth with it, but I decided to do it. And when I got the job, I just it – was, it was an easy transition because we knew the kids. It was, we told them not much is going to change. The coaching staff stayed entirely the same. So I think it was what Timo started, and we are just trying to carry it on. Oh, really, really great. Uh, well, Coach, we uh, appreciate you making the time and uh, want to congratulate you again for an incredible run. Uh, this has become quite the story. Damian Baseball, uh, it's great to see you guys uh, raising the hardware and, and finding that level of success once again. So uh, well-deserved. Uh, congrats to you and the rest of the team. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Take care. All right. Take care. Skyler Tengon, he's the head coach for the back-to-back -back Division II state baseball champion, Damian Monarchs. Really cool story. And when you think about the coaching tree under the great Dunmore Amaru, under Tim O'Donohue, um, you can understand uh, why he utilizes uh, phrases like culture, uh, you know, talks about discipline, um, you know, getting the most out of your kids, right? And, and, and just some of those tenets that certainly I'm sure were passed on from his experience experience uh, coaching under and also playing for uh, Coach Morimaru uh, and then Timo Donahue, who is uh, pretty well established himself uh, in this game and that Donahue name uh, continuing to live on uh, at the University of Hawaii and beyond. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll bring Jordan Helley back into the fold and we'll get into a little thing we like to call true or false. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports.
What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Big thanks once again to Skylar Tangon for uh, jumping on the horn uh, in that last segment. was a good talking story about the successes of Damian Baseball here over the last couple of years. Back-to-back uh, -back D2 state champs. All right, we're going to uh, welcome Jordan Helley back in via the phone line from the island of Maui. Um, Jordan, we're going to get into a game we like to call true or false, and we're going to start in the... Um, uh, this is a fairly controversial story, but um, it, it involves a guy who's just kind of been there, done that, one of the, the staples, if you will, of college hoops, true or false. Bob Huggins' coaching career is over after he dropped a homophobic slur in a radio interview. This took place uh, just the other day, and uh, basically he was describing Xavier as a program and its fans, uh, and he said this slur not once, but twice and preceded it the second time <clears throat> by putting it in the phrase Catholic, quote unquote, slur. And so uh, I don't know what he was thinking. He issued an apology. The school uh, says that uh, he has taken accountability and they're looking into it uh, as to uh, whether or not there's going to be further action. But uh, this is not a good look uh, for old uh, Huggy Bear there. It is not. Not at all. Um I guess they have to quote unquote look into it. There's, I mean, it's like on recording. There's, there's not a whole lot to uh, a whole not a lot of fact finding uh, necessary for, for for West Virginia University. Like, man, I, I think it's kind of hard to fathom him keeping his job at this point. Um, I, I I don't know if his coaching career is over because at some point these guys kind of find a way back into things. You know, um, just just that's sort of the cycle of coaching. Um, you know, time heals, at least from that standpoint. I'm not saying that he will have, uh, you know, gained forgiveness from the folks that he offended. Um, but uh, so I'll go, I'll go true that his West Virginia coaching career is okay. over, but I don't know if his entire coaching career is over. Uh, I did see, did you see this on the internet? It was on No Context College Basketball, which is a great Twitter account. There's one for college football as well. But uh, apparently they brought in Tom Brenneman. Yes, I was just about to mention to, like, that. Talk to talk to the team about, you know, learning from saying things <laughs> that uh, you shouldn't be saying. Yeah. Um, but uh, I don't, I don't know if, I don't know if Huggy was, was there for that one you, when, you, they, when you, he came and talked to the team. You can't make that up. Uh, Tom Brenneman, <laughs> uh, who was, you know, a very established announcer, lead, one of the lead announcers for Fox on NFL games, play-by-play -play voice of the Cincinnati Reds, uh, and he was effectively canceled, I guess you could uh, describe it, uh, after he was caught on a hot mic uh, calling San Francisco one of the uh, slur capitals of the world. Uh, and so um, that was done... Uh, when he didn't know he was on the air, uh, and that's not to excuse that language at all. Uh, if anything, maybe it's a further glimpse into some of his thinking, which which doesn't come off well. Uh, but Bob Huggins was on the radio. Like, he knew he was on the air. What is he thinking? In some ways, it just makes it even more brazen, and in some ways makes it even worse, the fact that it still didn't click, even though he brought Tom Brenneman in to talk to his team just a couple of years ago i mean you, you really can't make it up like it's 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 terrible but it's quite comical my goodness <laughs> it kind of is how does it, this happen it kind of is i'm going true i i, I think 
it's definitely, I think, got to be over at West Virginia. That, that'll be a tough, uh, the optics of, of that if they don't let him go without some kind of super severe punishment um, is, is the optics of that are going to be challenging, I think, to sell. So, uh, yeah, I think we're both going true, at least for that part. Uh, his overall coaching career... Ooh, might be uh, might be leaning towards true there as well. All right, next one. True or false? The Celtics are experiencing buyer's remorse regarding head coach Joe Mazzula. Yeah, I think so. I, I'm going to go true. Uh, well, at least uh, I think Celtics fans are. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, it was funny. We talked a little bit about this last week when I when I uh, was able to jump on the show with you. Um, just the, the Celtics, man. They're so deep. They're so talented. They've got so much dynamic. Um, they're, they're full of dynamic dudes on that team. Um, but the greenest of green guys in this, on this roster is Joe Mazzula. Um, and I just, I don't get the end of game, not calling a timeout. That's twice in this series where the ball has sort of found its way to Marcus smart late. And I get it. It was more Tatum going too late initiating that thing. And it's not necessarily Marcus smarts fault that the pass got to him late and he couldn't get the shot off. Um, but it, there's just, you know, he, he didn't get Malcolm Brogdon into the, to the scorer's table in time um, to sub him in before that final possession late yeah. uh, in game four. And it's just, there, there are just a lot of inexperienced rookie mistakes, I think, coming from, from the coaching standpoint. Like, I, I just, I, I think they're, they're late-game rotations. I think the way that Malcolm Brogdon is playing, I know Derek White's kind of fallen off and has not been very good in the playoffs, but the way that Malcolm Brogdon has been playing, um, their reliance on Marcus Smart offensively, even though all, all that he gives them on the defensive end. And, like, they're, they're clearly a better team than Philadelphia, like I, or at least from a roster composition standpoint. Like, I think they're far more talented. Um, obviously, the Sixers have Joel Embiid and, and uh, renewed, rejuvenated, fountain of youth, James Harden. I don't know what you want to go with. Um, <laughs> At least some nights. I, I, just, I, just, I just think that the, the inexperience on the Celtics bench has kind of been a bit of an equalizing factor, and, and here we are 2-2. Yeah, and I don't think uh, Joe Mazzula helps things, at least the way they look, uh, perceivably by saying, like he did yesterday, that he should have called a timeout before the final possession uh, of the uh, overtime loss to Philadelphia. So you look at game one, you look at game four, and it just looked like the team was a little discombobulated. They don't even get the shot off in time in yeah. overtime. And, yeah, like you said, it's always Marcus Smart you know, winding up with the basketball to take these shots. And it's like, uh, maybe we can draw something up uh, to take better advantage of Jason Tatum breaking down matchups. Uh, and you also have Jalen Brown out there on the floor. Like, can somebody else take a shot? Um, I love Marcus Martin. I love his heart. But, um, but yeah, it just seems like uh, there's, there's some self-sabotage that's occurring there uh, in Boston. All right, we uh, switch gears just a little bit. True or false? The Lakers-Warriors series is done. Of course, that's a very vintage ESPN type of uh, topic heading uh, because the series isn't done. It's 3-1. It will be done when somebody wins four games. But we got to talk about this kind of stuff. The defending champs are on the ropes here against the Lakers. Do you give them a chance uh, to come back from down 3-1? Yeah, yeah, that, that that's the ultimate like first take thing, right? It's like it's Steph's <laughs> legacy tarnished by the fact. That oh man, know. it's legacy every uh, day. It's legacy it's, every day on every ESPN. Every day is a legacy game. Um, I'm gonna say false. I, I think the Warriors. I, I just learned over the years, and and even you know going back to last season where they put together an incredible run. Like you just don't count them out, mm -hmm. right? And and I know that the Lakers, whether it's been Lonnie Walker 
or D'Angelo Russell at times in this series. Like, they have gotten big-time contributions. And, and I know the narrative on AD was that he was like an every-other-game kind of guy, right? He put together two pretty decent home games um, here. LeBron is just like sort of just operating out there as this, this savant that just knows when to, when to press on the gas, when not to. But I, I, I just – the way that Steph can get hot, the way that this Warriors team will just absolutely not die – in a lot of ways, you know, I, I think it's I, I think it's silly to kind of count them out at this point. They've got two of the next three at home. If they can, you know, I, I like them in game five. And then if they can go down and, and force a game seven with a win on the road, um, you know, what you, at that point, it, it, you probably take them in game yeah. seven, right? It, it's, it's hard to say, you know, and, and I think what the Lakers have done in terms of just completely remaking their roster over the last three months is, is quite commendable. Uh, and the fact that they've had different guys step up in support of the big two on that roster, but I think for the Warriors, it's just it's just impossible to say that that they're that they're down and out. Uh, and then there's also sort of the the sport the the poetic nature of like if they come back from three one down after all of the the three one 2016 talk and like LeBron with the the tombstones that is uh, <laughs> at the, the, the celebration party or whatever, right? Like that would be that would be quite the um, quite the story uh you know some seven years later even though those guys seem to get along quite quite nicely these days like everybody's buddies now um with Draymond and Steph and, and LeBron but I, I'm, I'm gonna say false man I'm not counting the Warriors out. I, I'm gonna go false I, I don't think it's over I think what's likely to happen is the two home teams are gonna win the next two games and the Lakers will probably close it out in game six but I don't think that it is uh, a certainty uh, by any stretch uh, and that's in large part because the Warriors have you know they're the defending champs and, and they've proven uh, time and time again that you can't count them out but it's also a lack of reliability on the Lakers side I mean I do think and I said mm -hmm. at the beginning of the series that I thought the Lakers matched up pretty well against the Warriors and we've seen that in stretches in this series uh, but that said, it's not as though the Lakers are always so reliable and it's not as though they're consistent in the kind of effort and intensity that they bring to the table night in and night out. Uh, and so I think it is as much on them possibly falling asleep here. I don't imagine that you're going to get that top-notch Laker effort uh, in Game 5. It just doesn't seem like it's that kind of team. It just doesn't seem like they're the ones thinking right now, like, we got to finish this out of desperation. We can't give these guys any oxygen. It just doesn't seem like the Lakers are comprised that way. Uh, and so I, I imagine, uh, you know, I'm expecting a little bit of a dud performance uh, on their part in game five. And then game six, you know, on their home floor, uh, they should be favored. I, I think they, they likely will win, but uh, very well. They could, uh, you know, stumble uh, out the gate and, and the Warriors get hot. And, and if it goes to a game seven uh, back uh, in California or, or by the Bay, um, yeah, I, I think that uh, it would be the Warriors certainly favored uh, to win that series. So, yeah, I'll say false. It's not over. All right, true or false, the Tampa Bay Rays are bad for baseball. All right, the reason I'm asking this is because there's been a little bit that has been made about uh, just some of the shenanigans, right? You had Randy Orozarena, uh, who <laughs> who paused mid-home run trot uh, against the Tigers earlier in April and just kind of folded his arms <laughs> and stared down the dugout, uh, which was hilarious. He got thrown out a couple of times after that. Uh, you had Wander Franco, who did the ball flip last week prior to a 6-3 put out. Uh, there's a little bit of flair here with this young but super talented Tampa Bay Rays team. So uh, the old stodgy question, uh, are the Rays bad for baseball, true or false? 
Look, they're twenty nine and seven. They're ridiculously good. They got <laughs> they're off so the good. All time, all time historic start to start. with. they went fourteen in a row? I forget what the number was <laughs> when they, they they started the season. Um, the Rosarena thing is 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 a little bit over the top, uh, but those things kind of police themselves, right? As you mentioned, now nah, the other team will will uh, will try to even things out a little bit. I, I love the um, the upset tone of of social media after the Wander Franco thing. Like I don't know, I thought it was pretty darn cool. I thought it was major league baseball, major league baseball, and just kind of just nonchalantly doing that. Like that's ridiculous, (laughs) right? It's ridiculous. It's Steph shooting the basketball, turning around and running down the court without even watching it going in. Like, is that bad for basketball? No, get out of here. Plus the other thing, how many people are watching the race? Come on. Not that many people. Right? Like hey, they're starting to draw again truth. a little bit, though. They had to open they up are. the, they, they open up they the upper deck the for the first deck. time in years. I know I saw. Yeah, <laughs> guess what? Because they're fun. <laughs> and they're good. Yeah. <laughs> they're exciting. And, and so, like, Tampa's going to love them. Um, do I think the rest of the country is watching them that closely? No. That's kind of how baseball works. Like, I don't know how many national TV games they've had so far. But I can guarantee you, like, the casual baseball fan hasn't seen a whole lot of the race other than, you know, the when they're pimping home runs or when Wander <laughs> Franco is just, like, effortlessly, like, doing yo-yo tricks yeah. with the baseball before he fires across the diamond. Like, I don't know, man. I think that's pretty fun. Yeah, no, I think so. You're, you're right. Rosarena was a little over the top, um, but I, I do think that this is kind of the direction that we're going, right? Uh, some of the youth that's in the game, some of the international uh, – flair that's in the game right it's changing the the way that this game is played i mean every team pretty much now has some kind of choreographed dugout home run celebration right whether it's something like you know guys being rolled in a shopping cart or um you know something like the washington nationals wearing the old you know uh, forefathers wig uh, for anybody that hits a home run i mean every team does something like that there's just a little bit more of that in the game than there ever was uh and i think it's great for the game Right. Uh, Baseball wanted to try to make it more appealing for a a more modern and younger audience. And and that's why they changed the rules and enforced the pitch clock and all of this stuff. And I think that some of that, to a degree, in my opinion, has gone a little too far. But I think some of it has been successful in trying to make the game a little bit easier to absorb for the younger generation. That's just the way it's going. I think the Rays are are pretty darn good, particularly with that payroll. (laughs) which is like a fraction of the New York Mets and the New York Yankees and them, uh, and the fact that you look at their roster, and they are young, and it's just the way they do business. They're not going to sign Shohei in the offseason. They're going to draft. They're going to cultivate talent. And you look across the board, they probably have, what, like a top five player at six or seven of the positions? Like, in baseball kind of thing. Like, they are uber talented. That's just kind of how they do it. And this might be one of those years where they uh, actually put it together uh, and, and and make it work. So we'll see. All right, last one, real quick. True or false? This is in your wheelhouse, Jordan. Erling Holland of Manchester United is the LeBron James of soccer. All right, the reason I'm asking you this is because uh, he just broke the Premier League single-season goal-scoring record of 35. Is oh, 34 was the record. He set it at 35. Uh, he just seems like a big dude uh, who just kind of overpowers everybody and runs faster than everybody. At least that's what it looks like to a novice like me. Uh, would you agree with that assessment, true or false? Uh, I'll go false. Uh, he's like a pure scorer. But I, LeBron's more the facilitator. I think that's what I love about LeBron. Uh Holland is more like uh, he's more like young Shaq, 
or it's just like this physical force of nature where you have just no hope. Uh, and, and he is just going to score at will and take your heart. Okay. All right. So you're going false. Uh, because I just don't have any other frame of reference because I'm not as into it as you are, uh, I'm going to go true because it's kind of like LeBron to me. He's just like bigger and kind of faster than everybody, and, and it, it gives him such an yeah. advantage. At least that's what it looks like uh, for, for a guy like me. Yeah, he's a stupid athlete out there. <laughs> he's a cheat code. Absolutely. He was built in a laboratory. Um, all right, that's it for True or False. Was that a fun segment? I say true. We're going to take a break. We'll be back to wrap up the show after this. All right, welcome back. Let's, right, talk welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the PAXA studios in Honolulu. Jordan Helley is joining me via the phone line from the island of Maui. It's the last segment, so it's uh, time for our best and worst. Jordan, what is your best? Yeah, my best. Uh, I'm going really uh, kind of off the wall here, a bit random. Uh, Twitter, it, it, uh, it can be the best or the worst, <laughs> uh, I guess, depending on uh, at all times. which way you look at it. Yeah, I'm going uh, David at Dave H R U S. It's David Horobsky Sports. Uh, my guy David has just far too much time on his hands. But anyway, he put together uh, this graphic, and it has um, basically when you take the longest and shortest fence distances from Hawaii high school baseball fields and combine them into their own fields. And so he's got like like a literal outline of like all of the shortest fences, the longest, the widest fences, uh, biggest foul territory of like all. Anywhere that Hawaii high school baseball is played and, and coming off of the state tournaments last week. So you got everything from like, you know, Lanai, which has a, a really tall fence, but a really short uh, <laughs> fence. It's basically like 297 all the way around. Uh, you got the, the 236 foot right field pole uh, at Kau, uh, Kapolei, 570 out to center field. He even took like places like Kalani that don't necessarily have <laughs> like a field in less, a fence in left field and Google mapped the whole thing. And so he technically has it at like 7.30 to the edge of the property uh, at Kalani. Amazing. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. Uh, my best is uh, the ABC. This is just funny. ABCA Twitter account uh, after UCLA won that last set against Hawaii in the championship game. Um, they uh, posted uh, Bruins win, although they didn't spell Bruins correctly. They spelled it B-R-I-U-N-S, the Bruins win. So congratulations to ULCA uh, on their championship uh, victory against Hawaii. We don't have time for our worst, but that's all right. Uh, we'll uh, end on a high note. Jordan, appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks a lot, Liz. Uh, and also big thanks to Skylar Tangon. See you tomorrow, everybody.